Well, I want to say good morning, and good morning to those that are watching online. I, so uh, I always tell you guys is that there are so many more people that are watching online and watching from their camping spots or their their vacations. We've got people that are right now online in Arkansas. We've got people online that are, that are camping, and uh, so we are grateful that you are watching and spending your morning. Even when you're out doing other stuff, you're like, nope, i got to tune in for service. And so... We are grateful. We also got people at home with COVID, and so we're grateful that you are at home and not here giving us COVID as well. So uh, thank you so much for that. Um, I want to say uh, this, you know, um, I tell people that I've been trying to take uh, more Sundays off, right? You know, I want, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's not fair to all of you that are watching and to all of you that are coming to service that you only hear my perspective. But it, it just is not... It, it does not do you justice in your studies and growing and becoming a follower of Jesus. It, it, it just does not. It, it, you know, you need more perspectives. You need more, you need more people to speak into your lives than just me. And so I said that I wanted to do 40 times uh, a year. I wanted to preach 40 times a year. This year I'm on track to, to preach 50. And so uh, we're looking for, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for basically 10 more. And I'll gladly take two months off straight. So if there's somebody out there who's just like, hey, I want to show up and um, <laughs> I, uh, and so that's kind of what the goal is. And, and part of that goal, we have some guest speakers that are, that are lined up. And today, uh, we have somebody who's coming over from SUM again. And so if you uh, were here three weeks, four weeks ago, you got an opportunity to meet Tyler. Well, today you get to meet Caleb and Caleb is going, uh, so Caleb is the uh, same after my heart was a youth pastor and, uh, and is a youth pastor, you know, he's still trying, uh, trying to find his, uh, his footing where, uh, where teenagers are. I love being a youth pastor. I never thought I would get into senior ministry or adult ministry ever. I was like, I'm never going to do that. And then all of a sudden they were like, no, you're a senior pastor now. And so it's kind of how it goes. And I was like, oh, all right, well, that works out. So I'm going to say, welcome, Caleb, come on up. And, uh, please, uh, those that are watching online, you can just say, amen, you know, Thank you, Pastor Mike. That's so gracious. Good morning, church. How are you? Man, the, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place, is he not? Man, God is so good. I'm so uh, glad to be here. Uh, this right here, the, she is my wife. Her name is Kaden. She's in this white shirt wearing a chain, if you can see her. We got married in November, so we've been married for oh almost eight months. Thank you for not letting me fail that test. That's great. We met through SUM. She was actually, fun fact, she was actually SUM's uh, first student body president of all time. And so, it's a pretty cool fact. So, we met in New Orleans. There's this giant tri trip every year we do for outreach and evangelism. We met, uh, started talking through COVID, started dating, got engaged, now we're married, and now we're doing ministry together. And so, God is so good. So, um, Real quick, I just want to give a thank, uh, 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 a big thanks to Pastor Mike and his family. Uh, not many senior pastors would give up their Sunday or their pulpit uh, for some person they don't know to come and speak. So thank you so much. Um, if you can, you know, uh, being a senior pastor in itself is hard enough. Uh, being a senior pastor through COVID was hard. And then being a senior pastor after COVID might be even harder. And so take care of your senior pastor. Give him a call. Take him out to coffee. I mean, he is, he's working hard. And uh, thank God for him. Amen. So I was born in Sacramento, uh, lived there for like two years, and then I moved to a town called Yuba City. Who's heard of Yuba City, to be honest? Wow, most of us. That's incredible. Every time I speak, people are like, yeah, I have no clue where that is, and I don't care. <laughs> really? That's awesome. 
I love, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a great city. It's where I'm from. So great things come from Yuba City. And so uh, I was there for most of my life. I was on staff at my home church doing junior high ministry. I did that for a year. And then a pastor up in Napa uh, gave me a call. And then, you know, six months later, I was on staff at his church doing SUM Bible College and helping people follow their ministry calling. Um, and then more recently, my wife and I actually became the youth pastors as well uh, about two months ago. So we're doing youth ministry. We're doing SUM. We're both doing worship. We're both doing a lot of stuff. And so uh, God is really moving in Napa, and I, I'm just so excited uh, to be here. Uh, if you would, grab your Bibles or grab your phones. We're going to go to the book of Daniel, a great book in the Old Testament. Go to da- uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses, uh, read Daniel chapter 3, verses 25 through 26, and we'll go forward and read some more verses. But some context here, um, if you don't know the book of Daniel or haven't uh, read it, um, there's a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, for today, I'm going to say King Neb, because that's way too long to say every time I'm going to say his name. So, so when I say King Neb, that's who I'm talking about. And essentially what happened is the Babylonian Empire had, had taken over and taken captive all the Israelites. And in this very instance that we're going to read, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up this gold image and this giant gold statue, and he commanded uh, that all people... Uh, bow to it when the horns and the trumpets and the flutes and all these things sound, that all people get on their knees and bow to it and worship him. And so uh, I'm sure you know the story. It's a very famous story. Three boys uh, deny that request and, and don't bow to him and don't worship the idol and don't worship king, the, the king. And he, he throws them in this fiery furnace, right? It's this incredible famous story. I'm sure we've all heard it. Uh, but they deny the king, and they throw him in this fiery furnace. And we pick up this conversation in Daniel chapter 3, where King Nebuchadnezzar is looking on at the three Hebrew boys in the fire, and, and we see some incredible uh, words spoken by him in this chapter and even in uh, Daniel chapter 4. So if you would, Daniel chapter 3, verses 25 through 26, it says this. This is King Neb speaking. It says, He answered and said, But I see four men ab- unbound walking in the midst of the fire, And they are not her. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Go with me to Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. We're going to skip ahead about one chapter. So, One chapter forward, King Neb uh, is kind of talking to himself, and he says this. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. He says, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? I'll go through this, and I'll kind of, you know, break this down and explain where we're going. But let's pray first. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. God, thank you that we, that we get to be in your house. Lord, that we get to worship you. Father, thank you for your word that is alive, that it, 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 it changes lives and it transforms us. God, I pray, Lord, that we leave here different than when we came. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you, if you're going to be honest, would say that you're very forgetful? That you're very forgetful? <laughs> that, that, was, that was a lot more than I was expecting. That was like, that, yeah, it was, it was like everybody. <laughs> And so the funny thing about memory and being forgetful is that sometimes, at least for me, when we try to remember something so hard, it seems as though 
that there's something in our brain blocking us from trying to remember that one thing, right? It's like, what was that, you know, that, th- that, that name I heard, and you're trying to think so hard, and you're sitting down concentrating, and there's just like nothing in your brain. Like, I can't, I just can't think. And I'm sure we've all had that experience where it's like 2 or 3 a.m., and we're like about to fall asleep, and we're like, <gasps> like, like, I got it, I remember it. I got it, like, and then it's too late. You can't call your friend and tell him what you had. Like, it's way too late. So memory's a funny thing. Memories can be triggered by words or, or phrases or, or even smells or, or just places you go, right? Um, some of the things that we like and the way we are are because some of our greatest memories as kids uh, shaped how we see the world, right? Some of us love Disney and love Disney movies and love Disney because we had this incredible experience while we were younger at Disney, some of us, it's baseball, and we, are, we, have, we have memories of with our parents watching baseball games on, on Saturdays and Sundays, or, 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 you know, some of us, it's music, and our parents played music throughout the house, and we have this great, the, this great memory of music, and, you know, memory's a funny thing. And so, uh, my amazing wife down here, like I said earlier, is incredible at everything, and better than me at everything, uh, but the one thing that she, she she's kind of forgetful sometimes, so she's, be- she's great at everything except she's kind of forgetful sometimes. And so in November, like I said, we got married in Mississippi, uh, where she's from. Uh, got married in November. And then the day after we got married, we packed up her entire car, everything she owned, and drove back from Mississippi to Napa. So we went through Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Southern California. I mean, it was a long, you know, four or five days. Well, yeah, four days. And so, so all of her stuff is packed in this car, and we get back to the house after four days, and she's like, I can't find my iPad. I'm like, <laughs> we, we've been in, like, five hotels. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, call the, you know, comfort in. I don't know. So we check the car, check the glove box, check the closet, check the, the side tables. I mean, check everything in our house. Can't find it. Can't find our iPad. And it's not like an iPhone that's, like, kind of small. It, like, drops in that, like, you know, dark hole in your car where, where you can't find stuff. I mean, it's this, it's this big iPad. And so s- about seven months go by, and she, she, she's looking for her sewing kit, which she also can't find. <laughs> right. And then while f- trying to look for the sewing kit, we realized, man, she lost her AirPods. And I'm like, I can't buy you everything. Like, you got to remember wha- where your stuff is. And so she's looking for the sewing kit, looking for her AirPods, and guess what she finds? Her iPad. <laughs> and guess where it was? The exact place I told her. Now, granted, I, I also looked where I thought it was and I didn't find it, but the Lord is good, and he placed it there because it was probably in a hotel in Arizona, and he transported it, and it was right in the side table. Amen. The God is good. And then I think she found her sewing kit that night, and three days later found her AirPods, and so God is good. Right. So, so I'm not giving Apple any more, you know, my money because they have, they have plenty of it. But... Dare I say this, just as we misplace and forget where we put material things, so do we with our encounters and experiences with God and His Spirit. It's far too easy to treat God and treat encounters with God as like a nice one-time experience versus a life-changing moment. I think we often see moments in God's presence as a nice moment in time, not realizing that, that that moment in time is supposed to change how we live. I'm sure some of us have experienced amazing moments in God's presence. I grew up old school Pentecostal, and so I've seen some crazy things. I've been in, you know, in four or five hour services. I've seen healings. I've seen incredible things. My own testimony, I was healed. And, you know, I've seen great miracles. And even in my own life, I, I, 
I, I, I tend to forget, you know, what God has done or even who God is. You know, I, I'm so focused on, on my life and what I'm doing and my ministry and my marriage. And there's so many things that we all have that we often forget where God has brought us. And the greatest weapon we have as a believer is our testimony. It's remembering what God has done for us. It's remembering where he, he, he's taken us and where he's brought us from. Knowing theology and knowing scripture and, and having, you know, uh, great leadership skills is incredible for the church. But, but your testimony is how God's going to, is, is, is what God would use to change people's lives. Yet often, too often, we get past these incredible moments and forget about God and the great things he's done. We misplace our encounters with him. We misplace these great memories, these great um, I, you know, uh, moments we have. And I even forgot to tell you the title of my message. It's, it's, it's entitled Marked by Memories. Marked by Memories. When we're, when we're marked by memories, that means we're changed and we're set apart by what God has done in our past. It means I'm not living based off my own power or based on me trying to save myself but I'm living based on how God has changed me and where he's taking me. And this, this idea of being, of, of being forgetful and forgetting is exactly what we see in Daniel chapter 3. You see, oftentimes when we read the book of Daniel, the big focus is on the th- three Hebrew boys, or it's on Daniel in the lion's den, or these great, you know, uh, end times prophecies. And there's incredible stories and moments in the book of Daniel. But I want to look at this story from the perspective and, and, and at the perspective of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, he's I, I, a character who I think is often forgotten for having encounters with the Lord. And so um, in Daniel chapter 3, King Neb has this incredible moment where these three, three Hebrew boys disobeyed his command to worship him and worship this, in this giant gold statue that he built. And so in return, he throws them into this fiery furnace. And um, I just lost my place. Excuse me. He throws them in this fiery furnace. And the Bible says he's looking on and it says he sees four men walking around in the fire. Now, what some theologians and Bible scholars say is this might be a Christophany. Now, if you don't know what that means, simply it's, it's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what this is. I'm saying some theologians and people would attribute this moment to what that is, whether it's Jesus or an angel, but it's some sort of Christophany. And so imagine for a second you're looking in at, at this incredible moment of these three Hebrew boys in a fire, and you see a fourth one who just happens to appear there, who you didn't know, who you didn't throw in the fire. I'm sure you'd have some questions. I'm sure y- you'd be confused. You'd be like, where did this fourth guy come from? He's not part of this group. He, there's only three guys that the Bible records. Like, where did this fourth guy come, r- come from? And it says the three Hebrew boys walk out of this fire unharmed, unsinged, and that their clothes didn't even have the smell of fire. They walk out of this fire completely well, not harmed. And it's this great moment that we see King Nebuchadnezzar, if you read the scripture, uh, keep going down, and King Neb says to these three Hebrew boys, he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so he's acknowledging that these three Hebrew boys serve this most high God, serve the God that can deliver them from the fire. 
And we know that God can deliver us, amen? We've all experienced that. And he's acknowledging this incredible moment of God's uh, incredible miracle-working power in these guys' lives. It's one of the greatest uh, miracles we could see. King Neb experiences one of the greatest moments in Scripture, in, in Old Testament, of, of people literally standing in fire and not dying. I mean, there's, there's, there's not too many miracles that, that measure up to this, th- this amazing moment. And like I read in Daniel chapter 4, two chapters later, he goes on this boastful moment about how this great Babylon exists only because of him. It's a weird and, and incredible uh, reading one chapter later of how the King Nebuchadnezzar experienced a great, incredible miracle, yet one chapter later attributes all the success, all the success to him. He says, if you read it, it's this, it's this crazy, crazy idea. He says, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Completely abandoning this incredible almighty God that, de- that delivered these three Hebrew boys from the fire, giving him no credit for the authority, for the power, for, the, for, the, for his position, but attributing all these things to himself as though he built it himself. And I think one of the questions we can ask is how many times have we done this in our own lives? Not necessarily calling ourselves king and trying to rule, but attributing all the things that we have uh, due to our great power to work. You see, there's nothing incredible about me or about my ministry. I, I'm not some great like speaker. There was not like some incredible prophecy about me when I was born. Uh, I'm pretty average on most cases. I'm not trying to be like self-deprecating. I'm just being honest. Like I'm okay at instruments. I'm okay at sports. You know, I, I'm okay at whatever. There's nothing incredible about me or my ministry or what God's called me to do. The only reason why I can you stand in front of you and speak is because Jesus changed my life. I didn't save myself. I didn't bring myself out of, you know, hurt and pain and, and sickness and, and come to this incredible moment where I was on this hill and I was like, man, I'm this mighty warrior. I can do it. It was all Jesus. One of the greatest kings that we ever see in Scripture experiences one of the greatest miracles we ever read about in Scripture, and yet he still forgot who he was. And so my goal for us today is to get us to remember and get us to, to develop this discipline of remembrance. You see, if we, the devil's, one of his main goals is to get us for, to forget about God and forget what he's done. To forget about God and forget what he's done. Because if we, get for, if we forget what God's done in the past, then we'll have no expectation of God to work in the future. Go with me to Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. And I'm probably not going to preach very long today, so uh, just keep that in mind. I, I, I never preach super long, so I'm sorry. So, Pastor Mike, I'll let you know when you can come back up. <laughs> <laughs> you can preach the second sermon. I'll take notes. <laughs> Judges chapter 8, verses 33 through 35. If you haven't read the book of Judges, I encourage you. It's this incredible book of, of Israel and and these great leaders and great victories, but also great sin. And Judges chapter 8, verses 33 through 35, tells of, of this incredible moment of Israel forgetting about the Lord. And I think it's so challenging for us to read, especially talking about this idea and this discipline of, of remembering and being marked and set apart to remember what God has done. 
And I actually didn't plan this message on 4th of July. Like, I, I wasn't even thinking of this message and tomorrow and what it means. But I think it kind of coincides. I mean, if we forget what, what is happening in American history, good or bad, I mean, we will make the same mistake going forward. One of the great things to do on July 4th is remember where America was, how, how we were founded, the great things that have happened, the great strides we've made for equality and for, and for freedom and liberty and, and, and the workforce and, 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 you know, just working, but also remembering, you know, the great tragedies and how we can move forward and bring God back into this nation. Amen? So Judges chapter 8, verses 33 through 35, it says this. It says, As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. Verse 34 says this, And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Gideon in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Verse 34, man, that's so challenging to me. That God's chosen people to, 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 to bring his name to the world. It says the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. And it says not, even, not only did they forget God, but they forgot the leader who had done great things for the land and for God. Not only did they forget the Lord their God, the King of Kings, like it says, who had delivered them from all enemies, but, but, but they forgot the leader that God had used. And it's incredible, if you read the book of Judges, it's, it's, it's this really uh, interesting pattern you see. God will raise up a leader or a judge to lead the Israelites into some victory. They serve him for a set amount of years, and then once that leader dies, they turn back to their old sinful ways. It's this incredible pattern. You see, you can read the book of Judges and see what I'm talking about. Almost every time that the leader of Israel, a judge, dies, the people turn from God and go back to sin. They forgot who the Lord was, and it has some pretty harsh language here, but, but they made the gods of, of the people that were surrounding them their own God. And I think it's easy, at least for me, I'll be honest, it's easy to read something like Judges or the book of Daniel or, or even like a Judas or a Doubting Thomas who, who, who doubted the Lord and didn't believe or betrayed God and forgot who he was. It's super easy to look from our 21st century perspective and be super judgmental, at least for me. One time I took a personality test when I was in high school and it said I was 60% judgmental. <laughs> super good for going into ministry, right? 60% judgmental. And so I really have to watch myself when I read the scripture to not start, start accusing them or, or saying how awful they are because I would do the same exact thing. I'm sure if I was in their shoes and around the culture and around the people who were forgetting the Lord, I'm sure I would not be much different. You see, the forgetfulness of, of, of Christianity today does not look like this, practically speaking, but it's the same spiritual effect. It's the same spiritual warfare. It just happens different ways. But how many times in my own life, and we can all ask this, how many times in my own life have I forgotten the Lord? Like I said earlier, we all have an incredible testimony. I mean, the fact that we're in this room, taking time off of our Sunday to be in the house of the Lord proves that you want to follow Jesus, proves that he's done something in your life and he's changed you. But how many times have I forgotten the Lord and done what I wanted to do? 
The answer is probably far too many. And this idea about forgetting the Lord and, and not remembering and turning to our old sinful ways, this isn't some Old Testament idea. This isn't some Old Testament theological idea that some theologian came up with. This is a, a human condition, uh, a thing that's been going on for generations. I mean, it's sin. It's not just like an Old Testament biblical thing. I mean, we still deal with it now. It's a sinful thing that the enemy is using to get us to forget who we were and who God's called us to be. And I think he's, he's at least in our culture and with his country, I mean, he's succeeding in some ways where people are forgetting where God and what God has set this country up to be. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect at all. Nothing's perfect. But God has used us in this country to bring his message and his gospel and have great revivals of people to hear him. And if we, if, if we forget what God has done, then we'll have no expectation of what he's going to do in the past. King Nebuchadnezzar knew what God can do and was a witness to God's power, but he forgot who he was. He was a witness to God's power, but he forgot who he was. And like I read earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar attributed all his success and all, all his his glory, and, and, and his entire kingdom to his own power. But I want to read Proverbs 16, 18. It says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haunty spirit before a fall. And so as I'm talking about this idea about forgetting the Lord, we have to understand that there are consequences to forgetting God. God is, ju is just and merciful and has grace and open arms but there are absolutely consequences to sin and to disobeying God. Let's not forget that. There's 100% consequences to sin and disobeying God. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a downer, but we have to preach repentance. And we have to preach that sin is wrong. We need to turn away from sin and follow Jesus. Daniel chapter five, 4, verse 31 through 32. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, so stick with me. But this moment we're about to read is, is King Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. And like I said earlier, there's, you know, in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction. And so in Daniel chapter 4, verse 31 through 32, it says this. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And the question again, have we forgotten the Lord? It's a more reflective question for our own personal lives and our own personal you know, journey of faith, but, but, but have we forgotten the Lord? It's very easy, I've found since being in ministry, to be part of a church and, and, and be a Christian and do the things, yet completely forget about where God has brought me from. It's super easy. And even before I was in ministry, I mean, we can get so wrapped up in, in, in church and, and doing church and trying to reach people, and we all have our own personal lives, and there's work, and there's bills, and there's, there's, just, there's just so many things going on in life. And we get so uh, bogged down and distracted that we forget about the Lord. And so I asked this, when was the last time that we just sat down, closed our eyes, and remembered the Lord? 
remembered what he's done, remembered where he's brought us from. Fun fact, the word remember is used over 350 times throughout the Bible. 350 times. That's, uh, that's almost one remember for every day of the year. There are real consequences to forgetting the Lord. Like I said in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years in the wilderness like a beast. It says he ate grass and the, the dew of the earth was on him. He spent seven years away from the kingdom that he thought he built, alone in the wilderness, eating grass like a cow, because of his pride and, and, and unwillingness to acknowledge the Lord. And I'm not claiming that over you if you forget the Lord, but, but, but the simple principle is that there are consequences to forgetting the Lord. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering the desert. And if you know that story in the book of Exodus, and, and even numbers recount some of it, it's this incredible story. They were in slavery for 400 years. I mean, oppressed, captive, I mean, killed, I mean, like, like the worst you can think of. 400 years, God sends Moses, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, you know the story, and it's, it's this incredible moment of Exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. And on their journey, the people of Israel forgot about the Lord. One verse in Numbers, I think it is 21, it says, The Lord sent snakes into the camp to kill people. So much so that an entire generation had to die. And even Moses, the father of, of that entire nation at that time, didn't reach the promised land. One of the fathers of, of, of our faith, the author of the first five books of the Bible, this incredible uh, you know, guy on the Mount Rushmore of faith, never reached his potential, never got to the promised land that God promised them because they forgot the Lord. A whole generation died, he died, it went to Joshua and the whole next generation, and they took the land. Can I say this? Let's not miss it and expect the next generation to do it. We, as this generation now, cannot forget the Lord. It, it can't just be pushed off to the next generation and next generation, and we just expect the next young, young, you know, young person to do it. We now, and you know, I'm still pretty young, but I can't expect the next you know, 15-year-old to come up behind me and do what, do what God's called me to do. Un unless we know that God is the source of all we need, we will turn away and forget. Do you see God as the source and as the main thing, or do you see him as something? One pastor told it to me like this. He said, is God your steering wheel, or is he your spare tire? Is God driving your life and directing where you're going and, and making the turns and, and, and doing all the things, or is he, is he something in the back that we keep when things go wrong? And again, you know, I'm really not trying to sound like I'm accusing you, so I apologize if I... You know, apologize if I do. This is more reflective for me as well. I'm trying to get us to think and remember, man, man, what has God done? And so, what does it mean to be marked by memories? What does it mean to be marked by memories? I wrote this down, and you can read it, or not read it, you can write it down, and I put, the expectation of my future is predicated on my acknowledgement of God's working in my past. That's what it means to be marked by memories. That, 
the expectation of my future is predicated on my acknowledgement of God's working in my past. That, that how I see my future and where I'm going and what God's called me to be is, is heavily dictated based on how I acknowledge and see God working in my past. If I give him no credit in my past and if I ignore him and forget about him, I will have, like I said earlier, no expectation of God working in my future. And having no expectation of God working in your future is a dangerous place to be. In other words, if he's done it before, he'll do it again. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. If he's, if he's brought you out of a hard time, he'll do it again. It might seem dark right now. It might seem like all the walls are closing in. It might seem like culture is telling you to just give up and quit. But if he's done it before, he'll do it again. There is a difference between a Christian and someone who's been marked by God. A lot of people say they're Christians in our culture, and that's nice, but have you been marked by God? Have you been changed? Have you been set apart? Have you, have you forgotten your old sinful ways, acknowledged where, where, where Jesus has brought you from, left that behind, and followed him? Have you been marked by God? Remembering and reflecting causes us to live different. You see, when I remember what God has done in my life, specifically when I, was, when I was six years old, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, epilepsy, and Tourette's syndrome all in one night. I was having about 20 seizures a day. Doctors said I would never uh, be in normal school classes, never drive you know, my, you know, a car, never graduate high school, forget about college. I mean, he'll, just, he'll be home for the rest of his life. He's never going to be normal. And in one night, a healing communion service, my senior pastor at the time prayed for me, and I was healed. And I haven't had a single seizure since. And remembering and reflecting where I was and how Jesus changed my life often dictates how I'm going to live my life in the future. You see, if we forget where God's brought us, and I'm hammering this idea, but we got to know if we forget where God's brought us, we'll never know and never trust him where he wants to take us. You know, I think God has some incredible things planned for each of us. I mean, he's willing to do exceedingly abundantly, take you further than you thought. I mean, flip the word upside down to get you to where he's calling you to go. But have we forgot him? Luke 22, we'll go there as I close. Like I said, I'm not going to preach very long. I just feel like the Lord just wanted me to hammer this one idea. But, but Luke 22 tells the story of Jesus and the Passover meal. And I'll go through this message and we'll pray. And I'm going to pass it back to you, Pastor Mike. And you can take it from here. But Luke 22, chapter, uh, chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, is, is Jesus with his disciples at the Passover meal. And, and if you don't know anything about Passover or the significance and why they're doing this, back in the Old Testament, uh, there was a moment in time, I think it's in the book of Exodus, you know, uh, hopefully I got that right, where, where God was commanding the Israelites to paint the door frame and doorpost with blood, and, and the angel of death was going to come through and and God said, if you don't have this blood, then he's going to kill you. It's a crazy story. Bible's, you know, Bible's a crazy you know, book. And so this is the remembrance of that. And Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. And, and I think it's, it's, it's this great moment that we see Jesus tell his disciples to remember him. And so Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, it says this. 
It says, then he took the cup, Jesus that is, and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm reading from the ESV version if that helps you, but it says, do this. In remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so I kind of see this moment of Jesus and the disciples as this kind of center, center point moment, the sort of climax of the Bible, if you will, one of the climaxes. And, and, and on the left, there's the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and all the rituals and all the sacrifices of animals and all the things that they had to do. And then, you know, go through a priest and be cleansed. And, I mean, there's so many things you can read about it. But, but on the left, there's sort of this Old Testament, Old Covenant. And then it's Jesus and in in, in, in his disciples in the center. And then on the right, it's him establishing this new covenant. And, and I kind of picture them in the center of Jesus saying, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And then next he says, I'm establishing my new covenant. And so... He's making it known that there's two crucial points to communion, two crucial points to living this life of faith. It's remembering what he's done and acknowledging his new covenant that is only through Jesus. It's remembering what he's done and acknowledging what he's going to do. Have we forgotten the Lord? If you would, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. I want to take maybe just a minute or two, and you know it might seem awkward for you for silence, but I think silence is a great thing. But let's just take maybe a minute or two, and I want you to think right now about a time that God really came through for you. Remember an incredible moment of God moving, of God working, of God acting on your behalf and working in your past. Remember this incredible time and an incredible time of God working. And, and I would love for us to develop this discipline of remembering. So just remember, take a minute, and then I'll pray, and I'll throw it back to you, Pastor Mike. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for your house. Thank you that, that we get to remember what you've done. And God, that you, you didn't stop working in our past, but God, you're still working in us now and with us through our future. God, thank you for your son Jesus and the sacrifice. God, that we can have eternal life through him and him alone and that we can trust in him. Father, I thank you for this church and it's, it's obedience, God, to step out and, and preach the gospel unashamed. God, I pray you would work through the lives of the pastors and of the people here. And God, I pray that, Lord, this church would be uh, just a great spot, God of, God, of healing, of restoration, and God of, God of your word. And so, Father, I thank you for all you've done. And God, I ask that we leave changed and different than we were before. Father, I thank you.
and we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.